0: You are listening to Something
1: Rather Than Nothing Creator and host Ken Vellante. Editor and producer Peter Bauer We've got uh, Jacob Forensic here. I wore my uh, special sweater uh, for you, Jacob. Uh, I recently received uh, uh, an Avengers uh, holiday sweater which is the only how I understand things right now. This makes a lot of sense. Amazing. To me, I love so. it. I should have I matched you. I have uh, I have my Philosopher King's uh, t shirt. So, Man. I'm trying. I'm trying. Man. Oh. Jacob, you outdid me already. Damn. I tried. Here's the Philosopher King t shirt. Here I am going big time Avengers. Uh but uh, obviously the Avengers would be felled uh, by the great wisdom of the philosopher King So you win I take it. Uh, Jacob um, yeah we've got uh, we got Jacob forensic as you know our uh, podcast resident philosopher almost a correspondent uh, of, of sorts <laughs> uh, and yeah um, We've been we've been we've been chatting, of course, be able to check in with Jacob, but um, we, we, we came up with the topic uh, that I've been thinking a lot about, and uh, and thankfully for us, Jacob's been um, thinking and, and and writing and analyzing too. It's about kind of a you know historical topic here, free speech. And one of the big things I've been wondering about some of the, uh, questions we exchanged back and forth, Jacob is, uh, some speculation, whether things have changed, uh, you know, uh, nowadays in, in, in talking about free speech. But, um, I know, uh, for my, for myself, when I was thinking about this, this is tied to, uh, an artist that is very important to my son and that I've listened to uh, Kanye West and, uh, I'm a huge fan of his industrial hip hop and and Yeezus. And, uh, you know, in culture, we see a lot of talk about, you know, cancel culture. We see the rise in what we would say is hate speech or problematic speech, uh, harmful attitudes towards others. So, um, big topic, uh, Jacob. But um, what's going on right now? what's going on right now in, 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 in these debates. Um, What's where are we, where are we? Because it feels like things are changed and intense. And uh, it seems like we're, we're encountering at least in the United States and in other years, uh, more speech that seems uh, injurious or problematic or racist or xenophobic. So, How do we deal with all this right now, Jacob? Big question. Sorry uh, about that. I think this is a great place to start because,
0: yeah, I really think that the the debate hasn't changed in the sense of people are either kind of for or against free speech. This is the two categories that we tend to create when we talk about free speech, right? Like people on the right typically now will will take a a more of a kind of pro-free speech attitude because they... Uh, have some issues with cancel culture as they define it. And uh, that really has been in the public eye because of uh, quote unquote left wing censorship uh, for the past five to 10 years. But cancel culture is not new, right? It's just manifested in different ways. Cancel culture was very prevalent in the early 2000s from the Christian right, for example. And, you know, Harry Potter was canceled as, and now it's canceled for different reasons, right? Uh, back then, it was canceled because of yeah uh, uh, sorcery and kind of witchcraft and just yeah paranoia witchcraft yes and yeah, and, yeah. and so the Christian yeah. right was the were the arbiters of morality at the time in the early 2000s. So they were the ones canceling. So I think you know people tend to forget that like these things have manifested in different ways over the years. Right now, we have um, some people on the right are quote unquote scared or they have some concerns about left wing censorship. Um, on social media, I am less concerned with those things. I think some of that is overblown. You know, thinkers like Steven Pinker and uh, writers like J.K. Rowling and others have signed this this letter in in protest of this censorship. So that's kind of some of the some of the rhetoric has been playing out in this ideological space. But I think we have to move away from this demarcation between for and against free speech i think we have to start talking more about the prevalence of misinformation disinformation in the public arena and that's when we i think start realizing that you know this is it's not as simple as as the right and the left have proposed in the past in different ways and i can get into i get i can get into some of my concerns there later on
1: yeah Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to. And and, I think and and I think the backdrop is is very useful because, you know, I've experienced as, you know, being engaged with what's going on, uh, you know, culturally. I do recall those those pieces. I think back when I was uh, younger, I was around the kind of the advent of, you know, I was breakdancer into rap music when i was a young kid and seeing how the cultural shift happened around rap and hip hop and looking at things like two live crew it being illegal a crime to sell that album to hand over that cd to somebody for money and uh you know ghetto boys getting things released released in the early 90s but a lot of that uh i can't get it out or it's illegal to get it out so even in recent just kind of american culture it's been where this has come up this is filthy it's degraded it's it, they're wrong and we can't share um what they have i think the big piece that i i wanted to dive into what you had said jacob that that Help me think about it. Was it isn't just the, the dichotomy probably doesn't work. Free speech, not free speech, but the the dynamic piece of information and the question of truth as a philosopher is something that I know and talking to philosophers have been vexed lately about. <laughs> like, <laughs> I believe there are some true things to say, or you know that that there's there there's and and the amount of misinformation or maybe thinking about cultish. Type of things and echo chambers in the strong dynamic of persuasion within uh, social media. Is there uh, an issue, a strong dynamic tied to this about the type of information that people end up expressing? Was that part of your yes, point?
0: Yes, I, I think what you're referencing there as well is kind of the tide against postmodernism that was, you know, in academia from the at least the seven, 70s, maybe slightly before then. And uh, beyond, some thinkers were having an issue with postmodernism and some associated uh, lines of thinking, such as more relativism, and so forth. And so some some were kind of raising concerns about, like, okay, so there's no there's no truth. So what does that mean? Everyone has subjective uh, interpretations of events, and so then you know, is a hijab moral? Uh, and these kind of, these questions that don't really mean anything, right? Like, is a hijab moral? Well, you know, it depends. It really depends. Like, is, is something being oppressive? And if it's not, and in many cases it's not, to my knowledge, you know, a hijab can be a sign of sophistication, for example, in some uh, interpretations. And for many women it is. And in some cases it has to be oppressive. So I think that's one area as well where, uh, you know, you, it's difficult to universalize uh speech and things in general. Like you can't say that, okay, um, uh, eating meat in every context is, uh, immoral, you know, in some cases it very much, well, maybe, you know, in some cases there's cultural leanings to these specific things. And so these have an emphasis on, but a lot of people have been talking about that. And for myself, I, I think that once again, I do not tend to enjoy the the dichotomy between relativism and objectivism on the one side. And so I think you can make moral judgments, for example, and I, I believe that in some kind of utilitarian view, I think eating meat is immoral because I think consequences matter. And I think that uh, moral suffering is kind of a catalyst of uh, um, that is relevant here. And so I think that that is something that you can quote unquote universalize, but You know enforcing it is a different thing some of these things are quite complex right so that's another way i think we can look at this debate in in the sense of i don't think there's just truth and non-truth you know there are a lot of different moral questions and a lot of them are morally significant for different purposes and when you apply them to specific scenarios then you can talk about each case scenario they tend to be quite complex you know like like uh, the world is nuanced the world is difficult to talk about right like it shouldn't be easy to talk about right if we're making things easy then that's probably a sign that we're misunderstanding it um in the first place you know so so that's one uh kind of further delineation i would put there
1: yeah the talking about the and talking about the the dichotomy I, I you know we're talking about framing and you know the pro free speech and you know or censorship you know this dichotomy does, does doesn't work how do we frame how do how do we begin to frame the idea of beliefs around free speech, um, you know, because I'm not saying necessarily that we end up there. We think in categories, right, as philosophers, you try to be like, how do we frame this debate so people can engage in the debate? And what I hear you saying, and, and I, I agree with, is that the I'm for free speech. I'm against free speech really doesn't get us anywhere. As a matter of fact, it might impede progress. So what's what's the frame for entering into this and also, if you wish to include it, does it, does that where we bring uh, hate speech, the question of hate speech into the yeah, discussion?
0: So one, I think unhelpful way of framing it is, or at least one way that people have been framing it, and I, I want to kind of flag it as not particularly helpful, is people tend to believe yeah. um that humans are kind of a tabula rasa, you know, this blank slate, the John Locke notion that everything they hear, they believe, right? I don't think that's correct. But there is an aspect to it that is true. I think that's when the misinformation, disinformation stuff comes into play. So I think often we are rational agents. We have to give credit where credit is due. A lot of people who engage in social media, they are rational agents. They have educations. They have years of experience. We can't just... Uh, call everyone intuitive walking um, irrational uh, people you know because that on the one side that's that is elitist you know to say that everyone who's engaging in social media is now uh, a a possible uh, uh, demagogue or uh, possibly liking demagogues and harming democracy as as it is i don't think that's true although i really do believe that intuitions shape a lot of our thinking and so that's why the way I would frame the debate is not for or against, but rather where are areas that are particularly harmful that need censorship because there's a proclivity to believe hate speech or misinformation or disinformation. And so in that setting, there are, for example, let's talk about recent news, Kanye West or Ye Ye or however he wants to be called nowadays, has recently been quite anti-Semitic. You know, I I don't recall the specifics, but he was doubting the uniqueness of the suffering of the Jewish people in the Holocaust, among other things, some of his claims on Alex Jones when he planned for it and platformed him, but also elsewhere. Now, the ahistoricity or anti-historicity of those statements is one thing that we we don't have to get into, but for anyone who wants to read about that, uh, uh, Timothy Snyder, Bloodlands, fantastic book that that I actually just finished reading that talks about really the unique suffering of um, Eastern European Jews um, who were a large uh, uh, victim um, uh, but also just Jews um, elsewhere in Europe as well but they were really transported to Eastern Europe and and um, six million Jews were killed there and so that that's a fantastic book for people to read but Really, what Kanye West has been doing is he's been allowing or platforming or giving permission for people to be anti Semitic. You know, and so some of this is quote unquote, quote unquote, uh, harmless, right? So, like, uh jewish jokes you see them in um mass uh mass popular culture right like in the movie neighbors for example with uh zach efron and seth rogan the first uh movie has some uh some jewish jokes about having a jew in the oven quote unquote um uh, talking about pregnancy right and so you those are kind of morally morally interesting debates around that of like Is this harmful? Would Seth Rogen, who is Jewish, um, omit this if he could? Is he platforming anti-Semitism in those cases? Those are all interesting questions. And um, in some cases, I I, I think you really could say that this is uh, that it allows anti-Semitism, but that is something about humor. There's something about comedy that is just difficult to talk about. Right. Like this is what a lot of people have dealt with, what they talk about. uh, comedy and the ethics of comedy but in Kanye's case you really saw an uptick of violence against Jews you saw um, an uptick of, of outspoken anti-Semitism and so forth and so that's where I think you have to draw the line uh, John Stuart Mill that we're talking about hate speech you know John Stuart Mill has this um, has this uh, principle that he talks about um, and what his understanding is that when you're when you are being hurt or injured or there's violence against you as a physical being that's when the free speech uh ends or where it should end that's where your swing should end if it touches your nose and so forth i think that's a good one that's a useful mm-hmm. one but there are potential uh, limitations of that phrase phrasing you know it's really hard to Uh, draw lines in certain situations. That's for the philosophers, for the trained philosophers to uh, come up with. And they have, you know, they've they've written (laughs) a lot of essays on this. I've read some of them during my undergraduate days. But in Kanye West's case, it's clear how it's harmful. It's clear how it's platformed uh, hate speech, uh, anti-Semitic speech. And in other cases, it's less harmful, right? Like in The Neighbors' case in the movie it's not entirely clear to me how that would promote uh vitriolic anti-semitism maybe it is somewhat true i I personally am not particularly fond of that joke or you know kind of anti-jewish or jewish jokes that reference the holocaust and being in in ovens i mean as someone who has uh been learning about the Holocaust. I've been the teaching assistant for this semester in a class on the Holocaust. It doesn't ring in any way uh, interesting, or it doesn't ring funny to me at all, right? And so maybe it's just because it's really fresh to me. I, I'm sure yeah. that some Jews would would find that joke maybe funny, and so difficult, right? It's very difficult, but
1: but yeah, yeah. Well, and I think part of it too is is um, uh, some of the influence uh, fr- from 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 you, and I have some recent reading uh, myself, uh, the Olamador, um Ukraine uh, famine. We had some overlap, you and I, uh, online and uh, and reading about that, and I th- I think there is something about. The context of it, right, that that the offense seems to rise when the scope of hatred is so pervasive, provable, showable in a des- massively destructive human event. Then when folks poke around in the in in that area, the sensitivity for curing humans, Jewish people or anybody who's experienced this type of thing. The offense is palpable. The uh, Holocaust denier, the uh, odd physiological feelings I have in my body, hearing things like that, are real. Um, and I, I, I think the it, it speaks to you know the impact or the notion impact of where the, the harm is. I followed the. It, it was interesting for me intellectually and uh, to. Then follow after uh, Ye had said those things, the debate within the African-American community, because you see these historical antagonisms that sometimes in, in being from the East in New York City, knowing about, uh, you know, kind of conflicts or portrayed conflicts between Jewish people and black people and black people and Korean people, it plays, you know, and plays, plays, uh, plays into this. Um but I think, like you said, with your re- recent reading or historical understanding, the uh, damage that can be done to the unleashing of falsehood, and, or if we define it as hate speech, is of such a human concern that that's why this, I think this debate comes about. Jacob, best, best try at this. You know, I follow um, Southern poverty law. Uh, tracking of hate groups, activity, things like that. But what is hate speech? Because, you know, if the debate is normally framed, uh, you know, your hate speech is this and these, uh, you know, whether it's liberal and all these things that they want, they they hate us Christians and us trying to live a proper life. Like what? How do we frame that? What is if something's getting to hate speech, what, what? what are we doing right there? What is hate yeah, speech?
0: Uh, hate speech, I, I don't have a prepared definition for you, but I think some type of hate speech is just going to happen in society. It would be difficult to outlaw hate speech as such. What you can outlaw uh, definitely is speech that is um, causing or calling for violence. And um, there's these examples of Okay, um, you're in a crowded theater, and uh, someone shouts "fire," right? And this is used as an example historically as that's illegal or something. And actually, in the U.S., to my knowledge, that's not illegal. Um, as as it's kind of used as as like an incorrect example, as oh. you know, something that isn't really illegal. Yeah. there are other things that would be illegal. You know. But uh, it depends on the country to country. I mean, in the U.S., it's not illegal to deny the Holocaust. In Slovakia, my home country in Europe, it is illegal to deny the Holocaust. In Germany, it's illegal to deny the Holocaust. And, um, you know, people have been publicly uh, tried for such acts. And I don't recall what the law is in Canada. And so, you know, there are like, Kind of these unique cases that you can point to uh, but i think outlying hate speech will be difficult for precisely the same the reasons that you outlined it's very difficult to uh call define hate, hate speech or you know uh, chappelle dave chappelle show, um has comedy specials every other month now it seems and in a lot of them he says things that a lot of communities have described as hate speech and I agree vaguely with a lot of the concerns of those communities. Um, but You know, Dave Chappelle seems kind of, what's the way to put it, uh, you know, ambivalent perhaps to the suffering of specific communities. And here we're talking about um, trans communities specifically. And so, you, you, you know, and I yep. personally find a lot of those jokes unsavory. I, I find the rhetoric around it concerning um, a lot of people have been calling, uh, that speech as hate speech. I think rightfully so, but do you outlaw it? I'm not entirely sure that would be conducive to any, any kind of, um, I, I'm not entirely sure it would be conducive to that speech, not occurring at all. Right. Like, and that's one of these arguments. Noam Chomsky has been a famous, uh, Holocaust deniers, um, He's not been a famous Holocaust denier. <laughs> He's been a famous supporter of the speech <laughs> of Holocaust deniers because, in his view, um, that would permit uh, speaking truth to falsehood and accuracy to blatant historical. Yeah,
1: yeah. I could see that. Chomsky, Chomsky, Chomsky
0: has been someone who's yeah. defended. And, you know, Chomsky more recently, as of Putin's full scale invasion of Ukraine, has defended Russian disinformation, to my knowledge. He's defended that being available in the U.S., a lot of places have made RT formerly known as Russia today and Sputnik and other Russian disinformation channels illegal. You know, in Europe, you can't access them without a VPN. Um, I don't know about the U S but I, I, recall it being uh, not accessible or something along those lines, you know, and Chomsky has once again said that you, you should be making those things available because, um, because that speech is just going to be around in general, and I I, I don't know if I entirely believe that. Actually, I, I would I would be more on the side of the fence of let's let's disallow the 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 chief orchestrators of this speech. We can allow people discussing that speech amongst themselves, or we can allow people believing inaccuracies. You just can't police people's beliefs in that way. It's just not going to work. This or Orwellian fantasy. It has been tried, you know, uh, and it just doesn't work. We, we can't police people's beliefs, but you can police uh, people's ability to share that. And, you know, th- I think there's a strong argument for censorship because people tend to believe uh, some of this stuff and it's harmful. You know, some of my family members have believed uh, Putin's lies and I wouldn't. Uh, call them uh, idiotic or uh, senseless. I would call them very. These are intelligent people. These, so, so we have to approach them with that in mind. These are rational agents. Uh, it's not. It's not enough to just say that we can't. Uh, that they can't make up their own minds. They can. We should allow speech. We should allow them to discuss things. But at the same time, I think there's a strong case to be made about censorship, because of its um, the prevalence of. Disinformation because of how because of how it's influenced democracy and the state of politics, you know, and Brexit 2016 that happened with uh, Trump's election as well, right? Like a lot of um, narrative-centered approach to speech that is persuasive, that is also disinformation and misinformation. You know, immigrants are not stealing jobs. Unfortunately, it's more nuanced than that, but those things are persuasive for a lot of people, and so. You you have to you have to yeah. allow that dialogue. You can't tell people that that's hate speech and now it's illegal. That that just is a recipe for political disaster and and uh, instability.
1: Yeah, you'd mentioned uh, around Brexit I had this uh, interesting experience that I happened to be in London uh, leading up uh, to that election a, a few years back, and wow, what an experience to! See, I experienced shock at what I saw as overt racist posters by political parties with caravans of brown people, you know, coming into coming into England. Um, It was just so overt to me. I mean, it was like I know there's not much subtlety in U.S. politics uh, sometimes around these matters, but I was like. Whoa, that's wrong. And around that time, the next two days later, uh, British M uh, British MP, uh, the member of parliament, uh, was assassinated, uh, in, uh, I think it was a rural, uh, part right there, but it was just, it was just, I was like, what, you know, I was just right around it and I was in there, but A and B, right. The, this racist, uh, rhetoric, you know, and it doesn't happen that often that a member of parliament shot, but it was assassination right around the same time. And so um, it was a big shocker. And I think when you mentioned that and some of the political changes that we saw in Europe uh, and talking about Trump in the U.S. around uh, 2016, I found it all rather shocking in a certain sense. I've been around, you know, I'm, I'm 50 now, but I've been around lots of different people, which means you're around a lot of racists and xenophobes over time and come in contact with it. But I was like, holy shit, this is bigger, bigger bigger and more dangerous than, you know, than, than, than I seen or recall going to the social, social media piece. Let's talk about the Chomsky bit, right? So we got Chomsky and, and, and I think we could definitely as intellectuals understand the point of him saying the shit's going to be out there is a, obviously a terrible way of expressing Chomsky, but it's going to be out there. It's going to, it's, it's, it's going to be out there, but I think I sit back and I say, Two things in thinking about that idea is that Chomsky is the preeminent uh, analyzer of the, the mechanisms and the power of media to to move and persuade. And if the things are different now or we're seeing different behaviors tied to social media, the monster is bigger, the monster is stronger and I think that problematizes, you know. I, I love the idea that Chomsky puts forward, um, but I wonder if it's quaint, uh, and on the basis of his own analysis, yeah. <laughs> if 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 it's quaint given the power of social media right now. So, is there something different about our Instagrams and our Twitters and yes, other things?
0: Uh, yeah, because in this I think that's now? that's you, you know you hit the hit the target on that one, I feel with the problem with Chomsky's argument is that Chomsky, I think, is analyzing this from the perspective of, okay, we've got rational agents and we're making up the best and everyone's persuaded by reason. It's true that we are rational agents. It's true that people can make decisions and people should be held accountable for these decisions. But at the same time, uh, from social media, we can intuit that People really engage with specific types of media, you know, and this is why the algorithms of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all of these TikTok now as well, they favor uh, outrageous content. You know, Candace Owens, uh, Trump, Shapiro, and others have really utilized this. They know it. They know it very well. Yeah. like Candace Owens. Yeah. She, I I'm very, I'm pretty, I'm, believe actually that Candace Owens just has people around her who crunch the numbers and just say, okay, say the most incorrect claim you can make in any given moment. And it doesn't matter that, you know, they know that her popularity is not going to go down with that tweet. If anything, it's going to be bolstered and it's going to grow. So in the early stages of the invasion, she had this amazing take, um, that, uh, Ukraine does not have a history and, that uh, Russia is completely in the right to invade Ukraine, you know. And so everyone from Anne Applebaum, uh, you know, journalists to historians to observers to Ukrainians, everyone has basically just said, uh, look, Candace, that is so incorrect that it has to be some sort of outrage machine. And I probably was. It probably was Candace just being like, okay, what what can I say yeah. that is that is so incorrect that will get engagement and will further my account to more users. And, uh, you could credit Trump to a similar tactic, but I, I don't know to what extent, uh, with Trump is just accidental that anything that he says tends to be incorrect or tends to be, you know? Yeah. <laughs> tendency, so, so I think a lot of these people, they, they use this Shapiro supposedly I've heard, um, Shapiro described as nothing like what he is on camera that all of it is a show and that show is look we're gonna we're gonna create outrage we're gonna create um uh like kind of straw man arguments that purposefully outrage people so they engage how stupid is this Shapiro you don't don't understand a thing about my view yeah well that's the point he's not trying to understand your view this is it's not even entertainment right it's just it's just how do I get the most numbers? How do I get the most engagement? So the best way to deal with that is just to block all the users who tend to outrage us. You know, I don't ever look at Candace Owens. I've blocked her. You know, I've muted other accounts that I think that utilize similar things. Luckily I've been blocked by some people right. who do that. Eric Metax is this Christian right pundit of Trump lately. He blocked me because I was engaging with the content. That's great. Other people are, you know, uh, tend to, tend to block a lot as well. So that's something we have to take into account. That's something that Chomsky, I don't think is really reckoning with as much as you should, you know, these people, they are only looking at engagement. They're looking at numbers and how do you maximize engagement? It's by creating outrageous content that is fake purposefully or, uh, or it misrepresents truth purposefully, so that others retweet it, this is such a dumb take. How can Tucker Carlson believe this? Well, now that you've said that, now that you've retweeted that, now you've fed into the machine that is Tucker Carlson. That is his business plan, that's his algorithm. He doesn't care that you don't like his content. He just wants you to share that you don't like his content because that promotes him to other accounts.
1: You have an opinion. Now you have an opinion on it. I don't like this. All right. Everybody's engaging in, in, in their opinion on it. And, uh, it's, it's part of that, uh, maybe other sides ism too. You know, I know when I've worked on political campaigns and, um, you know, you have a campaign going and one, yahoo down the street says i am the opposition to that measure <laughs> and they get 50 percent. you know uh you know of the of the of the coverage because we think okay you know and uh i i think that is fascinating when i i think as a philosopher you know when you see things starting to be debated that you thought settled you know were settled and i think some of these questions are like that i thought these matters uh were settled and you know they're they're not and things change. Um, and I think one of the things of value that you made me think about and even at the outset too, about thinking how not necessarily political parties, but like political movements, how work has been done on a certain category and then the other party co-ops it. For me, for me, like the whole Trump media thing, for me an experience in sense prior to like in the nineties, where the 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 left in the US was like, Look, this is corporate news. It's tainted. Even your New York Times and but So there's this strong push for a long time saying this is all business poop we get in the news. Like, basically. And and that was pounded upon. And nothing wrong with that being critical. But that was pounded into a pulp. So when Trump said that shit's fake, well... Everybody been saying it's fake or misinformative for quite some time. So it was it, 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 as a political positioning. I don't think the left could have been like, wait a second. For all these years, we were saying it was a corporate. It was true. <laughs> and I, I really think it made a mess, at, at least as far as. A political uh, political opportunism around it, I think I think Trump had just taken the work that the left had done and seen. See, they told you it was crap. And I'm telling you, it's crap, too. It's crap. So, um, a lot of the work had already been done for other purposes, I think, but um, left us uh, left us where we are. Um, hard transition, uh, Jacob, because never get a chance yeah. to ask you and have you here. How's the guitar playing going? What well, about you, you know what? It?
0: I actually just today saw the beautiful Ibanez blue guitar that I had. So that's how my guitar playing is going in a nutshell. You know, I'm I'm, I'm now for I've, I have my guitars on co- different continents. Basically, I have them on the West Coast. I have them in Slovakia, and I don't have any guitar with me in Montreal. And so I've got my I've got my Vic Firth uh, practice pad here with my Dave Weckel signature signed uh, Vic Firth five A drumsticks, and that's what I do. <laughs> that's how I spend my musical energy now and unfortunately i i don't have um, a guitar with me it's it's just it is sad i picked up a guitar the other day and i was just kind of playing and i was like oh I, I don't feel it i feel like i play so much worse than i used to so um
1: yeah Uh yeah it's just yeah uh, yeah yeah give it it's t- months no it's, it's great i know uh everybody jacob does does some stuff with music and i think what's been really cool is when we had you on the show jacob is like yeah, we know we could talk about like a whole bunch of things, but I, I in general, I've always appreciated you um, being able to come on and talk about. Sometimes, a lot of times, it's like rate what I'm what I'm thinking about. And when you mentioned uh, Apple bomb, I love the the ability you know, for us to like share some things intellectually and some, some, some really important uh, reading. It's a, it's, it's a special opportunity. I wanted to know, you know, I, I do the show and you, you, you hit, you hit some of the the harder philosophy, but you're an artist and and, and you think about art. What about, what about uh, just, just general speculative thoughts as far as, you know, how's this, how's this, I mean, we are talking about art. We're talking about um, musicians. Um, you see in anything like artistically like you have to respond to in this realm or is a different in dynamic of creating controversial content or provocative comment uh, content rather. But um, you see, uh, you have some thoughts about in, in, in the art realm, some of these uh, dynamics formally taking um, place. I, I
0: don't think that in the art realm, there are a lot of artists who tend to be political in a way that yay was so i i don't tend to respond to them i don't tend to kind of engage with them that much and also just my attitude in general is if there is controversial content i tend to kind of steer clear as much as i can you know i haven't i didn't directly click on i make sure not to directly click on a content that is kind of controversial or i block it immediately i mute it I, I just say i don't want to engage with this you know i think we have to re position or way of, we can't be um, passive consumers of social media anymore. You know, like it's harming us too much. You know, we have to really, like when I'm on social media, I try to be actively engaging. I try to really like, okay, now I'm I'm hanging out on TikTok for a second. Let me see what's on TikTok. And then I leave TikTok and I don't passively engage. But when it comes to uh, artists who people who should be on the lookout, because of how awesome they are. Let me, let me give you, let me give you one, at least polyphia has been fantastic. They've been, it's kind of this instrumental, uh, rock, uh, if we can call it that instrumental metal kind of math rock or something. I think some of the kids are calling it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, So polyphia has been releasing really exceptional music. Um, I forget the main uh, guitarist name, something like Tim or Ted or something like this. And, really good stuff. I mean, I've been, I've been a fan of John Mayer's nostalgic, um, album, his sob rock, uh, kind of a homage to the influences that have shaped him. And I think, you know, in general, like it's such a, it is an exciting time for music. It is an exciting time for, for yeah. this. And, um, I think that, you know, all of these musicians, they've really been utilizing social media in a good way. And a lot, I think, most of them tend to steer clear from purposefully being controversial like EA. And so that's, that's good to see. But I mean, at a certain point, we will have to ask ourselves, like, are others going to be like, yeah, are they going to try to say uh, inappropriate things on sway and other news sources so that they can, can garner um, discussion about them. And I, you know, I think it's likely that that, If, if it doesn't have a real, real uh, backlash and he's had some backlash. Okay. Adidas has has, uh, canceled him, so to speak, but he needs more backlash 100% because a lot of people are definitely in support of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. It's, 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 it's a, it's a tough topic and it's a, it's a, it's, it's a really good topic. Um, yeah, Jacob, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time and, um, like I said, connecting around the books. I'm reading right now uh, Cormac McCarthy's two new uh, books, um, long-awaited, 15 years or so, um, The Passenger, the first one, and Stella Maris, which is I've read as a philosophical physics discussion of the nature of the universe set in 1972 black river falls wisconsin well, those are my non-fiction books, or uh late in the year um but uh before i let before i let you go i mean you're a big book guy like me and i get to indulge my, my, myself a bit um uh before i let you go what um you 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 gobble up those books pretty regularly what uh what what do you see as being uh, some some something uh, something you've run into right now, or you know, going into twenty twenty three, the type of thing where you get your head ready intellectually for what you see coming? Yeah, I've been digging.
0: I appreciate the, this question a lot. Um, so yeah, as I was mentioning, I just finished Timothy Snyder's uh, Bloodlands, which I found quite informative. People have been critical of it because "quote unquote" there's a Polish bias. I didn't see the Polish bias. In it, I think he's fairly balanced. I would want him to focus a little bit more on the ethics of collaborators in the, in the kind of Ukrainian, Polish, Belarusian collaborators, but he, he talks about it briefly. I've really been enjoying From People's Into Nations by John Connolly. John Connolly is this titan in the Slavic studies. He's a historian, and he talks about the history of Eastern Europe. Really good book uh, that just came out was by Maria Ressa, or Risa, I think her name is pronounced. She's um, a journalist out of the Philippines. Her book, uh, How to Stand Up to a Dictator, I found quite good. It's It talks about some of the stuff that we've been talking about in social media. And yeah. I, I actually recently bought um, uh, Zelensky's collection of speeches, which uh, I'm trying to look at it. Um, something like a message from Ukraine is the title of the book. Yeah, and uh, that's just gotcha. a collection of speeches. All of the proceeds uh, proceeds go to an initiative that supports Ukraine. So that's that's also great if people want to check that out. But, I mean, as you're saying, there's so many. I have a collection of Ian Kershaw, uh, his, a historian, um, two two books that he wrote on the 20th century that I really want to read. I want to read The Future Is History by masha guessing uh ben Rhodes is after the fall there's there's so many i mean so many books the ho- holiday seasons yeah,
1: yeah well that's why i hit that's why you hit yeah. hit you up for them and uh, um I, I i i like i do like I, like i say i'm particularly um you know, we've talked, this is third time you're on the show and it's, it's like, you know, when we share some things, it's really helpful because, you know, at times it's been as, uh, you end up in different communities, you know, and I was, uh, you know, directly, you know, in the university atmosphere for about a, a decade. And then you drift off and you do certain things. It's nice to connect and be like, Hey, what's popping in your brain? What, uh, what do I need to read now? So, um, we got uh, our field correspondent here, having reported Jacob. Frenz. where are you right now? Um, yeah, Montreal. I'm chilling
0: in Montreal, doing my MA uh, McGill. Montreal, beautiful, beautiful. I've really, i just tremendously enjoyed it. Oh, so, I yeah.
1: love much. Mont- incredible university over there, McGill, uh, Montreal. What a city! I've only been there in the cold, Jacob. I have to say, I've never been in Montreal and felt. Warmth, the warmth from yeah. the people and everything around but yeah, no we're ha- we're physical having a mild work. winter they're telling me now
0: which I'm happy about but it snowed recently and yeah just treading through that snow it's it's difficult even though metro is the the means of transport the snow here it gets pretty intense but the fall if you can ever visit in the fall uh, it was a stunning really stunning experience the fall in montreal
1: thanks thanks for the recommendation i've never been in there fall. i after i've gone there three or four times and um always in the deep dark of winter but i still enjoyed myself it was just a great city montreal very i don't know i found it to be very cosmopolitan arts oriented music is 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 good and uh you can smoke some decent yeah. cigars if that's your predilection is is, is as well. Um, Jacob, thanks for wow. coming on the the, thanks the so show. Thanks so much for having um, me again. I mean, third time,
0: to... yeah. This is this is yeah, great. and
1: uh, I, I love our correspondence.
0: It, it's, uh,
1: it's amazing. It's is, is is super too. And 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 the thing is, I don't know if I had ever formally bestowed it, but you, uh, field correspondent, uh, philosopher on the spot, so. You know, I might need to call you sometimes when the 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 world gets a little bit goofy, and I need some understanding. Oh, that's understanding. very kind of
0: you. Yeah, I mean, I wear the philosopher king t shirt, but I will have to tell listeners who got to this point that I am not the biggest fan of this elitist notion of philosopher kings. You know, so so I'm not one of those who. I actually I, I no.
1: <laughs> you're not if you, I didn't think Jacob forensic for, for those Plato folks out there is a fan of the uh, no, noble no, lie no. and the uh, <laughs> myths of uh, social placement uh, from the ancient Greeks fascinating wonderful yeah. work by Plato the Republic I recommend that everybody reads it but um, I still give props. Jacob's Philosopher King shirt um, well done uh, yeah, except for the yeah. elitist notion <laughs> and <than> everyone <laughs> did it <laughs> Jacob it's been a it's been a pleasure and uh, thanks 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 for connecting with the listeners again thanks you' really it's it. been
0: fantastic I really appreciate it this is something rather than nothing